Big thanks to our title sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Dr. Arpita Patel has a beautiful, modern, and upscale pediatric dental office in Charlotte, North Carolina. She and her experienced staff treat children of all ages and special needs patients. They create a comfortable, stress-free, and memorable dental experience for both the child and parent, starting with earning your child's trust and always catering to their individual needs. They're proud to offer the Waterlays Plus laser system they call Princess Poppy. It's an alternative method, which means no injections, shots, or drills. They genuinely share kindness, patience, compassion, and fun. Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. Hi, I'm Ian Holgis uh, from the band Delta Ray, uh, which features myself and my two siblings and three dear friends. We make alt Americana folk rock music, kind of a la uh, a modern Fleetwood Mac, and I'm thrilled to be here. Love it. Um, we are thrilled to have you here. And I have just so many um, angles I want to take with our conversation too. And one I, I definitely like want to kick off is the sibling thing, working with your siblings. And I'm sure you get that question yeah. a lot, but just, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering what, what that's, what's that, what that's like, especially as you're, you know, as you get older and wiser and uh, you know, like the sibling relationships shift and that dynamic shifts. Tell me a little bit about that. For sure. It's uh it's the, greatest challenge and the biggest reward of being uh, in the band. We, we, you know, we butt heads and we also are able to be super honest with each other and, uh, and go really deep, really fast. And so I think that's, it's what has uh, unearthed, I think, meaningful art for our, our group, but um, it, it comes with a lot of, you know, just knowing each other incredibly well and knowing where all the buttons are and all the, uh, all the, all the skeletons are. So right. it's a, uh, it's, you know, an intense, uh, an intense relationship, but I treasure it. And, um, and I think it's been a big part of our longevity. For sure. Because the, the vulnerability or authenticity that comes from knowing somebody so well, obviously would lend itself to, like you said, to great art and, and genuine art that people can, you know, connect with. And you yeah. obviously have to maintain some, some, good boundaries along the way, I'm sure. Right. I think that's been a, a challenge and a, and an area of growth for us over time. And it, it sets the tone for the whole group. I mean, I think that we, you know, our, our other three band members, um, Liz, Mike and Grant, who I've known Liz for over 20 years and Mike and Grant have been in the band since the very beginning. So, um, everybody is now like a family and that comes with, again, those, those same challenges and, and great rewards. And we have to uh, really actively and intentionally work through them over time. And um, you know, but I, again, I'm, I'm just extremely grateful for, for those relationships. Sure. Um, So what are you willing to share with us about your own uh, personal story of mental health? Anything you're um, that you're willing to talk about? Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I, Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I've felt my journey with mental health most acutely at periods of big life change. And, you know, the first time I uh, actively sought out therapy was when I moved from California, which is where I had mostly grown up, um, to go to my freshman year of college and was dealing with a lot of uh, loneliness and homesickness. And, you know, it was kind of the way that I 
initially or have had therapy over time always feels like kind of a spot treatment. Like I'm, I'm going in with a specific uh, thing I'm trying to work through. And then eventually I kind of hear myself talk enough that I'm, I'm exhausted and, and, uh, <laughs> and feel like I've kind of gotten to the, to the end of the, of and that need, journey. And then you need a break. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I need a break from myself. Um, so I, uh, I, those were my first experiences with therapy were during, um, periods in college. And then most recently, uh, you know, I became a dad in 2017 and that was such a big change. And really, I felt like I needed some help kind of reorienting. And, you know, again, you know, for as uh, narcissistic as it sounds, just kind of hearing myself talk through some of the stuff that I was thinking about and worrying about. And, um, and again, kind of got exhausted with my own uh, monologue and was able to, uh, you know, move on. But I actually, I, I had during that period, um, what I think was, you know, I, I think of as a panic attack. Uh, it was, you know, during COVID and, um, being a, a new dad and, uh, I sought out antidepressants for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's actually been extremely valuable to me. Um, I've described it to friends as having kind of established a new floor on my, uh, emotions. Like, you know, when I feel myself, um, spiraling with self-talk or whatever, it just kind of hits the floor and then it doesn't go much deeper than that. Um, and that's been really helpful. Yeah. I love that kind of like a little, a little safety net to catch you from going into that deeper (laughs) space of spiral. Yeah. And And my family has a history of depression and, and, you know, uh, stuff that is associated with that. And so it's really, um, it's been an extremely kind of, you know, uh, revolutionary tool for me to, to, to feel that influence and, um, and know that there's a tool, another tool to help. Sure. And I love what you say about, you know, I know you're kind of laughing about being tired of hearing yourself talk, but there is such a difference in subscribing to all the noise in our head and the narrative that we're just so used to kind of like going along with without really intentionally observing it and then getting it out of there. And so as you're talking right. to someone else, it brings a, just a different perspective to it. And it brings just, you can catch the p- thought patterns, for example, or some of the thinking traps. So that, I think that's one of the biggest tools in therapy is getting it out of your head. <laughs> well, and I don't mean to erase the role of the therapist either. I mean, I, I for my, my feeling was all, always that they were doing a very elegant job um, in kind of teasing out those, you know, that, that monologue so that I could, you know, and then, you know, letting when things had kind of run their course, um, uh, you know, letting, letting me run my course with it. But um, I, Yeah. yeah, they were really valuable experiences. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you're somebody where words matter. I mean, you know, you know, being a lyricist or then kind of transforming the, the, the thoughts that you're having or, or experiences that you've had into song lyrics, which is, has to be such a cathartic thing and a therapeutic instrument in and of itself. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that I've realized over time is my, my songs tend to be conversations with myself. They, they tend to be messages that I need to hear. And then, you know, I think put me in a really honest conversation with our audience. Um, and you know, a lot of, I think fundamentally I'm an optimistic person. Um, but I do see a lot of, you know, darkness in the world and, in and, in, in, you know, uh, 
my, you know, I don't mean to overstate my life experiences, but, you know, just in, in family members struggles. And, uh, it is helpful for me to be able to craft those challenges into a narrative that leads to something hopeful. And I think that's the arc of a lot of our songs is that they have a a redemptive or even sometimes kind of mythical quality that give you a sense of the, the journey. Um, and that there, that there's a, uh, a meaning to it. Uh, and that's the ultimate human thing about human experience that suffering and strife is always going to be a part of it. And we have to have that hope and optimism ultimately, you know? Yeah. I had a um, pretty foundational experience when I was, uh, I, my two of my closest or my two closest high school friends, we were a pretty, you know, interlocked trio and uh, one of them ultimately took his life uh, after we had gone our separate ways to college. And he was such a brilliant, you know, handsome, uh, wonderful person. And uh, it really left a deep imp- impression on me, having gone through my own experiences with depression, mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, I-, I just wished that there, uh, you know, to know the pain that he was going through and just wishing that there was a way to have, um, uh, you know, communicated my own feeling, which is that after the darkest periods of our life are often in surprising ways, the, the most, the, you know, the clouds kind of part and, and there can be real unexpected beauty. Um, and that's been, you know, I think something that again, in my own music and storytelling, I- I'm trying to always communicate back to myself as mm-hmm. a, as a tool for getting through those, uh, those difficult moments. And, you know, the really powerful thing about being in a, uh, a band that's expressing that publicly is that you hear so many powerful stories from your fans about the ways in which their, your music is, is helping them through Touching those periods. Lives. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's really, it's a, it's a really huge, uh, gift. That's right. So you get to do what you love and, it's so rewarding in this, this other way of um, really, yeah, sometimes being a, um, a, a changing or a turning point for people. And I know like growing up and, and, and being so acutely aware, even, you know, that music spoke to me, I couldn't really understand why or what it was, you know, but just certain moods or certain lyrics or whatever. And now um, it still does. Right. But being able to understand that connection psychologically a little bit better. Um, but music does that for so many people. It's, it is. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a mystical art form in the sense that, you know, you are, there is definitely something about, you know, there's something intentional and, and, uh, and uh, skillful about writing uh, certain lyrics but I mean, often, you know, when you hear songwriters talk about the, the most important songs of their um, uh, of their careers, it's like a bolt of lightning hit them and they can't mm-hmm. really explain where it came from and how the, the marriage of melody and lyrics come together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so you do kind of accept that that mysticism about it. And there's something really powerful about communicating that out to the world and, and seeing what comes back. And um, it, you know, it's that. Uh, that kind of, I think people describe it as being in the zone or, um, the flow or in flow. And, uh, and I think there's something about music that is kind of intrinsically that, and, um, is a really beautiful way of communicating with people and capturing something ethereal, um, and, and hard to, hard to describe. I was going to say, and that's a really great articulation of something that is really hard to describe. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, you know, you, you kind of know it when you feel it, but it's, it's That's a challenge. It. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And, and, and so because it can be so subjective too, right. You don't know who it's going to land with or resonate with in a certain way ever. Right. So then right. There, there's that vulnerability too, because there is so much of yourself in it. Right. So much of yourself in it. I can't imagine anything more personal actually, but um, from the outside looking in that, can you talk a little bit about that vulnerability of putting yourself out there in such a, a way that people, you don't know how they're going to respond? Well, I don't know exactly what is wrong with me that it doesn't <laughs> usually hit me that way. It's kind of funny. I, you know, um, I've, it's something we've talked about in the lot, a lot in this past year, because, uh, you know, it can be really painful, I think for, uh, people to, I mean, for anyone to put a lot of work into something and then have it sit on the cutting room floor or whatever, for songwriting, for me, that that doesn't tend to be true. I I love the work of songwriting. It really is internally its own reward for me. And, you know, if I bring it to the band and they don't love it, like, you know, there are times I push, but other times I'm kind of like, okay, well, you know, that it, it is what it is. But there's something about saying something that you really feel and, you know, it resonates with you that is just mm-hmm. uh, powerful on its own. Um, Mm. and so I tend to feel, and then I think being in this group of people that I, that I love Mm. and trust, um, there's a, there's a quality of, you know, I just feel a little bit Teflon going into, uh, taking it into an audience. I've, I've been doing it for a long time and, um, and I, I don't really worry about it. I, you know, it's, it's, I, it's a very, easy version of being vulnerable for whatever reason. That's um, great. It's harder to talk about, to be honest, than it is to, to do it because it's, uh, it feels to me like, a like an, once I've, you know, put the work into it, it kind of feels like this external product and, pe- you know, people sure. are going to feel how they feel about it, but that's, uh, it's, it's already done its work for me. Oh, that makes sense to me. And that's, that's hard for a lot of people just to have that level of kind of acceptance and letting it be for you. So I think that's really powerful. Well, I think it's really hard and it's hard for to, to have it be connected to your livelihood and to, you know, uh, certain other factors that you don't have control over. Mm. But I think that's part of what's been, you know, a beautiful recognition for me over time is that I, at, at the fundamental level of writing the music, I just like it enough to do it no matter what. Like I, and I, and I just don't care that much about how it's, you know um, you know, there, there are business elements of it that can be frustrating and can get you really worked up. But this, the, the vulnerability that comes with songwriting, I just kind of um, it feels like part of the deal and it feels uh, it feels good. You know, it feels, mm-hmm. it, it feels good. Maybe it's uh that you've worked enough on editing and crafting this thing Mm -hmm. that by the time it gets to people's ears, you're like, yeah, that's really what I meant to say. And Uh, I can't control it beyond that. Yeah. And I think that also is a good indication that you're doing what you're meant to be doing. (laughs) So, yeah, which, you know, I, I think for, it's funny because I, I do feel that way, but that's always such a, you know, uh, it's a challenge because again, like there's, it's a toughness. And so it's, it's a, it's a really about, it's a really powerful thing to feel like you, you're doing what you're meant to be doing from a skill set, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and passion kind of way, but it is a, it is a tough, tough business. I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people 
regardless of what you do for a living can, can identify with that, but it's just, it, it is, uh, I'm always aware of it in this business just because I do like the work at the core of it so much. Right. And ultimately it's like, you just want to be out there making music and there is this other business side that has to have attention. Right. Right. Or you, or you embrace that you do it as a, as a hobby, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, there have been times that I've been like, that, you know, that there's something very beautiful about that. And you, you get to, you know, you make your living doing something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you keep this other thing pure, but I think mm-hmm. it's a, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough choice for people. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a really interesting thing to kind of, to, to work through over 10 years that we've been doing it full time. Yeah. I talk with a lot of guests about, um, authenticity and specifically maybe how that does show up in their careers or, um, you know, we talk about imposter syndrome or, or acting kind of the roles that we might play, I guess. And so I wonder if you could just speak to that a little bit, like, especially when you're on stage and it is performing and yet it is this thing that we're talking about that is, it is you and it is your vulnerability and all of that. So do you ever feel this, um, I don't know, just this, this, what is the balance for you of authenticity and, um, performing slash acting? Uh, I think it's, it's a huge challenge. Um, I definitely, you know, in, in terms of a mental health journey, I think it's a big part of the ongoing journey because you have so many conflicting data points, especially at the level of artists that we are, you know, we're not uh, a household name. Um, and so, you know, there's, and I, am sure it scales in weird ways too, but for us, it's like, you know, I'll have somebody recognize me in an airport. And then I'm also very worried about what ticket sales are going to be at the, at, at, at the venue given this, you know, this time around. And it's, Mm. it just comes down to, it it feels so real and kind of on the ground. Um, Mm. and so there is a real level that it can really feel like imposter syndrome because, uh, you just have you know, fans of Delta Ray regard the band and the band members a certain way. And then somebody you meet who's never heard of the band before hasn't ever heard of the band. So they Mm -hmm. they have a very different Mm -hmm. non of what we do. And uh, again, like, I think there's analogs to every different type of career. I'm not, you know, singling it out, but it does lend itself to, um, to a sense of, uh, imposter syndrome, because you can feel like, uh, you know, you, you present a certain way amongst a, a group of people who will pay money to come see you perform in a, you know, in, in what can feel very grand and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you also live with the day-to-day, you know, um, Mm-hmm. anonymity of it. I am not really struggle with larger levels of fame uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but you know, the, even knowing that it's like, it's this own, it's its own internal conflict because you are kind of by design aiming for that. Um, and those are the benchmarks that most signal success. Uh, and yet, you know, realistically, I, there's a part of me that would, would love to be able to do, you know, to, to remain smaller and Honestly, I think a lot of that is going away anyway, um, because the 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 arts and um, are, are so fragmented now. We just don't have monolithic artists the way that we used to. Um, and so, uh, aside from like you know the the very top of the A list, it's a lot of people making a good living in music or in acting that you just wouldn't recognize. And sure. um, 
So I think part, I do think that's been a blessing of the period that we've been living through is you can feel like uh, that the things have been changing so fast that you're always kind of in, uh, in progress and on the journey of um, sculpting the career that you want. Cause mm. the, the career that, that we, that, you know, we started out 10 years ago, potentially aiming at doesn't even really exist in the same way anymore. Interesting. We've lived through a transition from, you know, physical records to iTunes to now the streaming services that all happened in such a blitz and the type of artists that are um, thriving in those different environments, it's really different. You know, it used to be all dictated by the major label systems and um, we've been signed to two labels, but now uh, there's a really, there's a, there's a broader middle class of artists that are doing well. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that feels healthier. And I think it's healthier for people's brains and self-conception. Oh, Yes. But talk about just constant adapting. That's, that's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah. (sighs) And you have to adapt your brain to it. Um, you know, and adapt your, again, like your, your identity to it. And, uh, but I think probably there's something healthy about that. Like I, I really have always been uncomfortable with the, the pedestal we put artists on, like, mm. you know, w- my favorite part of being out on the road is having a conversation with a, a fan who does something totally different than what we do. And for me, it, it is, it, that is fascinating. Like, mm. you know, we all live in our, you know, kind of insular lives. And it's like, you know, if you're, especially if you're meant to be a storyteller, you're like, you should be enjoying hearing other people's stories. Mm. Um, so I like those, you know, trend lines in, in yeah. artistry. And I, I think it's, it's a better place for all of us to be at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely, it sounds healthier and I could see how we define different value systems um, uniquely, you know, how, how one person might define, define success or achievement might be different than the way I define it or something like that. But how, you know, you're saying just kind of naturally, if you're going to go into this, there's some sort of expectation there that you want to rise and rise and rise. Um, Yes. Right. And and yet maybe for your own value set, that's not actually how you would define success. (laughs) So that inference might feel funky. Yeah. It does feel funky. And it's also, I, I do think, you know, uh, by nature, I'm a competitive person. And and when you see external mm-hmm. cues of what success means, it's really easy to orient around them. And that, again, sure. that may not be serving you in the long run. So um, I think that's been a give and take over time. And uh, yeah, just it's, it's, it's something I, you know, it, it's, it's such an amalgamation of factors that you're trying to, you know, incorporate at any given moment to, to get a sense of where you're at. And mm-hmm. um I don't know. I think that, that, you know, is part of what gives people a sense of imposter syndrome and um, you kind of fluctuate in and out of it, but. uh, Yes. Yeah. And you're in the self-concept, like you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, especially over the past year, because you guys haven't been able to, um, you know, be on tour and and do the, how did you guys continue to uh, survive and make music and take care of yourselves? Well, we got some help from PPP loans. Um, and we also launched this thing called uh, Behind the Door, which is our um, kind of the, we described it as the Netflix of Delta Ray. And we're, we're about to launch the second iteration, which will be quite different because once we get out on the road, we'll be augmenting mm-hmm. what it is we're offering. 
Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, it was essentially like a fan club where we were releasing a lot of exclusive content. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, transparently the band went into therapy to kind of help uh, you know, bridge the gap between this period of time, just to, to nice. talk through how different things were feeling and, um, you know, to, to work through, uh, that cause we were, you know, we, this is the longest we have been yes. off the road and, um, and it, we've just adjusted, adjusted to a totally different way. Of That's right. The energy's different. And the direction's different. The, yeah, everything you guys were sort of about had to shift and there was no handbook the for this for any of us. That's right. And the sense of cohesion was so different because, you know, for a band, it's like so much of kind of being up in each other's grill all the time, so much shared, you know, intimate space. And now we're all, you know, just connecting via zoom for the most part. Um, finally, we, you know, uh, we would as safely as possible all convene in Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. and we did put on some live streaming concerts, I think three of them throughout, uh, the, the kind of, um, uh, core of the pandemic period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, you know, we were, we were isolating and, um, and the business was just completely shut down in its traditional ways. Uh, but we released two albums mm-hmm. that we'd been working on, um, in advance of, uh, of everything shutting down. And, uh, it's, you know, I'm really proud of everybody having maintained, uh, the way that we were able to, cause it was, a, you know, just an absolute, uh, 180 adjustment. Um, so yeah. it, it was a big, big change. Yeah. Talk about having to figure out self-care and, <laughs> um, right. flexibility. But I think we're going to carry a lot of lessons from this period into, uh, post COVID, there are a lot of gifts in having things stripped down and simplified and slowed down. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, exactly. Another thing I really, um, you know, admire about you guys that I don't know that a lot of artists are willing to do is really be authentic and use your platform in a way that matters. So specific to racial injustice and, um, black lives matter. And just, I, again, like, I, I don't, I wonder it, what that's like when you, when you do have a public platform and it's something that, you know, you and I don't think should be polarizing, but is, um, right. What a decision like that. And, and such a powerful emotional song that just, um, like I have chills just even thinking about it. Cause it's, it, it captures something, um, that and again, the way that music speaks to people, it captures something that will hopefully make people think, which yeah. is the point, right? But just anyway, just speaking a little bit about the decision making that goes into songwriting and and things like that. Well, it, it felt very uh, important to me, uh, and and it's it's a I think it's a very for, for, it feels like a very natural duty. Although writing that song was extremely difficult to to do. Uh, you know, what I thought was uh, appropriate for, as, you know, a white person speaking mm-hmm. to uh, a problem that white people have created in America throughout our history um, to, to I- intersect that and, and speak to it without appropriating or, um, to, you know, becoming the focus. I, I, that was yes. the most important thing about 
the the song's purpose to me. Um, but the 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 impetus to do it and the the uh, sense of um, necessity, I think, came from comes from having watched my mom be a, a gay rights act advocate in uh, Georgia when we were growing up. Um, I uh, spent from I think 1990 to 1996 my elementary school years in in Marietta, Georgia, um, <clears throat> and. Uh, this was a period of time when uh, the anti-gay movement there was extremely powerful and um, politically salient. And my mom was just like, a, you know, she joined a group called the Cobb Citizens Coalition and uh, they gave speeches and did performance. And uh, I remember her giving a, a, you know, attending a rally in the town square where they had snipers up on the roof because mm. the sense of, uh, you know, uh, fear surrounding the um, uh, surrounding the event was so uh, high and uh, watching how that um, issue has evolved over time and how my mom's instincts and, and sense of right and wrong has been so validated. It really informed me that, you know, we were, we were unpopular amongst our neighbors uh, in that position at the time. And the, the country as a whole was, uh, you know, if you looked at any polling was very anti-gay. And so uh, having watched where our country came to and knowing, you know, so deeply the right and wrong of that issue and that, but that it took so much work to get public opinion to turn around. Um, it just gave me a sense that uh, sometimes you have to take unpopular positions within certain communities. Like, you know, um, it, I think it can be really challenging for country artists to speak out on, uh, uh, racial injustice. Um, but you have to do it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I just can't imagine accepting living in a country that's mm -hmm. getting these things so fundamentally wrong and actually actively perpetuating mm -hmm. more suffering, um, uh, and staying silent. I just think it's, um, I think it's really wrong. And so, uh, yes, you know, that's that, that it, it doesn't ever really feel like a decision to me. It's like, it's just how to do it artfully and, and to capture the right message. Um, cause it's so easy, uh, to be ham fisted about that stuff, especially, um, you know, as, as a white person from the outside looking in and, yes. uh, and trying to say something, you know, worthwhile. Yes. Yes. That's it. And I, I also, what a testament to what we model for our kids too, as parents, um, just as you talk about your mom in that way um, too. And again, kind of thinking about values and what we want to instill in our children. And just that you, you identify that as something that really resonated and meant something. And yeah, so I think, I think that's cool to note. I, uh, it has been so deeply meaningful. I'm watching my dad support her in that fight. And, uh, yeah, it was a really powerful lesson. And, um, I, you know, and, and my deepest, what, amongst my deepest hopes for modeling for my kids would be to instill them with that same sense of, uh, duty, um, to, you know, in their community. Agree. Um, any, uh, any other kind of moments in time that, that you're either just most proud of or, or, or 
when you reflect on it, just really like something just really resonates and sticks with you. I'm sure there are several, but <laughs> uh, career wise or life wise or whatever comes to mind. I just think we, we, we have these pivot points of just, Ooh, that was really something in my life. And so what comes up for you when you think about that? My, my genuinely, and this is going to sound corny, <laughs> but my, my biggest pivot point was meeting my wife uh, in, in college. I, you know, she was my first girlfriend um, you know, so, so many firsts for me. Uh-huh. And I was, again, you know, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, I, I have watched friends face really difficult periods and, uh, and, um, I was going through my most difficult period directly prior to having met Becca mm-hmm. and, you know, was at, uh, had just transferred, um, from Overland college in Ohio to Duke, um, which is where we met. And, uh, was just lonely and having a hard time kind of finding my crew, especially because, you know, I was transferring in as opposed to, um, kind of getting there with, you know, a freshman class that was all getting to know each other. And so I was, I was finding myself having like, you know, suicidal thoughts and I wasn't ever at the point of like, you know, planning or where it felt concrete, but I just, they, they kept emerging and I I kept thinking like, this is, you know, I got to do something. And I was thinking about enlisting in the military or just kind of trying to find some way to, Mm. to, you know, reorient more, um, dramatically. And, uh, and the funny thing was I had been, uh, when I transferred, they, they put me in a frat house, even though I wasn't a member of the frat, oh, so I kind of had the w- worst of both worlds. And that I was seeing all these people with really active social lives and was not, oh. <laughs> not having one. And so, uh, so I went away for summer was really kind of contemplating my options. I came back and again, like out of nowhere, um, a dear friend who went on to be Delta Ray's manager, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in one of those twists of fate, mm-hmm. uh, introduced Becca at me and like, it just changed everything. Mm-hmm. And I, it changed my life so much for the better. And, you know, uh, has been, you know, the foundation of all good things that have flowed since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, <sighs> you know, it's just a lesson to me that like, you know, you don't, you, you can't predict the future and that can go the cut both ways, but, you're going through a dark period. Like there's just every reason to, uh, hope that a, you know, an unexpected Mm. source of beauty will can come on the other side. And, uh, you know, that you just, and and again, like I hadn't fundamentally changed anything that dramatically for myself. I was just persisting. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So I, uh, I, I, that's been a really powerful lesson to get through uh, difficult periods ever since. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's corny. I think that's so real and so beautiful because yeah, you feel you were just kind of like going through the motions yet. There had to be something in which you were, you were open to receiving, you know, if something, yeah. yeah. And I think just be able to give yourself some credit in that too, that you were able to receive that and then, um, be a part of molding what that turned into, but it is hard to remember that, that those dark periods are temporary because for a lot of us and, or they don't, they don't feel temporary. Yeah. Well, I, um, I for, forgive me for qu- quoting my own music. It's a, it's a, that would be, it's a, t- a terrible thing to do, but I was just, I just was on a, on one of our, uh, one of the things I do for our behind the door thing is to kind of explain the backstory of certain songs. And I, the one of, one of our fan favorites is a song called morning comes and the, the chorus is, uh, um, uh, rain don't change the sun jealous is the night when the morning comes, but it always comes. Mm-hmm. And, I like the idea, especially since I've, I've 
taken up meditation in years since. And there's a, you know, there's that idea that, you know, beneath the waves in the deeper parts of the ocean, there's, there's a constancy. And I think of the sun the same way. It's like, it's always there, but sometimes it's, you know, it's obscured. And, uh, you just sometimes have to wait for the clouds to part and you don't have control over that. And when it happens. So, um, it, again, and kind of in the sense that my music is a source of kind of messaging, you know, distilled things that I need to hear. That's, um, that's one of those songs that, that is capturing that idea. That's right. Um, and you know, feeding it back, uh, over time. It's that's been right. helpful. Yes. You're speaking my language. I mean, that's, I, I talk about that with clients all the time of just, the thinking about it, like the sky, the sky is always constant, no matter what happens, storms, yeah. sun, the sky is always constant and learn and meditation gives us that gift of being able to yes. observe that and settle into observe that. It. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, it's been a really profound insight um, from that and, and a, a super helpful tool and mm-hmm. kind of stepping back from the, the chatter and the monkey mind, um, mm. you know, side of things. And I, I think for storytellers, it can be a real risk because if, if, you know, if you've got any, <laughs> any, uh, urge or, or, or talent as a, as a storyteller, you can really convince yourself of very mm. negative narratives. Um, and so you have to be intentional about the the type of narrative you choose to tell yourself. And, uh, mm. I, it takes some, some, some crafting. Because people don't realize that you have more agency over your thoughts. You know, you, we, we, yeah. we think because it pops in our head, oh, got to pay, pay attention to that. We don't realize we're even paying attention to it. Kind of like we said earlier, but we have way more agency. A hundred percent. And and also, and, and, and the longer storyline, the, the, the larger story that we're telling ourselves, um, I think, you know, it sh- should be one that you craft with kindness and like, mm-hmm. and, you know, and a source of hope about where the destination mm-hmm. uh, ultimately is. Yeah. And compassion. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, any mentors that you have currently or that you are notable in your past? I've had a lot of wonderful music teachers over time. Um, Austin Willisey, who, uh, um, uh, taught my acapella group, which also ha- had my siblings in it and is where I met my dear friend Liz, who's in the band, um, has been a huge source of, uh, wisdom and, and, uh, lessons over time. Um, there's another music teacher, Juanita Talbert in Marietta, Georgia, who kind of first gave me the the signal that I might, uh, have a voice mm. worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then I had a really important mentor, uh, when I left college, um, my, one of my pr- favorite professors there had, uh, been a writer named Reynolds Price. Um, and he reached out to me after I left to ask me to, uh, work as his assistant. And that was a very specific job because he uh, had suffered through spinal cancer at the age of 50 and the radiation therapy that that saved his life left him paraplegic. And so he'd had a succession of 25 assistants, um, former students come in and uh, services live in uh, assistant over time. And um, so I was the 25th assistant and went to work for him when I think he had just turned 76. and that was a foundational experience for me. Um, I lived at his home. I got about five hours off a week. And so it was completely immersive uh, in terms of, you know, seeing somebody else's life up close, the life of an artist. Um, he, uh, his narrative voice made a huge impression on me uh, as a writer. And he had also co-written some of James Taylor's songs. So that um, 
was, you know, hard to, you know, a, a huge source of inspiration and admiration for me. Um, That's fascinating. And uh, his, his kind of central piece of advice that left a huge uh, impression was uh, people are going to hate you for the exact same reason that other people love you. So you might as well be yourself. Mm. Um, and I did find that to be a very, you know, freeing piece of advice. So I always uh, go back to that. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Okay. Anything else you would add to this conversation, which I could just go, I mean, this was so rich and just thank you so much for your openness. Love it. Oh, totally. My pleasure. Let's talk about this idea that we have way more control over our thoughts than we realize. So in acceptance and commitment therapy, which is really part of this third wave of psychology, we talk about thought diffusion and diffusion techniques. And this really involves distancing or disconnecting from thoughts and feelings. So just seeing them for what they are, which is really just streams of words or passing sensations and not attaching to them as facts or dangers. And we can practice some skills that allow us to learn how to step back and observe thoughts and feelings um, rather than getting what I usually talk to clients about kind of Velcroed to it. So you've heard about some of these techniques through classic mindfulness work, which is things like imagining putting your thought on a leaf and watching it float by. Uh, imagine your thoughts like passing cars. And I remember even with the first time I learned that I could even give myself permission around how fast those cars are moving. So because I have a very noisy mind and that monkey mind is going, 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 I needed mine to be like NASCAR cars, really. <laughs> but guess what? I can give myself that permission for them to fly by and learn to observe it. First technique of thought diffusion that I want to teach you is really just about naming naming what's happening. So let's just take the thought, uh, I'm going to embarrass myself. Okay, so if I am just subscribing to that in my head, I'm going to embarrass myself and really owning that and claiming that, that has a certain feel to it, doesn't it? But let's try this. I'm having the thought that I'm going to embarrass myself. You see how that even just provides a little bit more distance? And then I notice that I'm having the thought that I'm going to embarrass myself even a little more distance. And it turns it into, again, just that stream of letters and words that it is, rather than something that is definitely going to happen. Another technique is to turn it into just something silly. <laughs> so you can imagine the thought being read by a cartoon character or in like a Donald Duck voice or to the tune of something like happy birthday. I'm going to embarrass myself, right? I mean, it just becomes a little bit ridiculous and silly, but that's the idea. We want a little bit of distance so you're not so tied to it as this danger or fact. The last thing that I want to teach you, we call passengers on the bus. And this is really just imagining that you are in the driver's seat. And while all your passengers, which are the thoughts, are all behind you doing whatever they do, they might be super noisy, shouting, critical, doesn't matter because they're all back there. They're allowed to do whatever they're going to do, but your attention stays focused on the road ahead. And so having that visual where you know, they're back there. Maybe they think they're being helpful. Uh, maybe sometimes they're right. Maybe it, it doesn't really matter. You get to decide which ones you want to pay attention to and give your attention. And you have to remember that this is a skill. So just like with weightlifting, I tell people, you got to practice this kind of thing. And that muscle gets stronger 
to be able to learn how to diffuse and decide what to do with your thoughts. And it's really empowering once you learn how to do that. Thanks for joining us today. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We're removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. Again, huge thank you to our sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Just check out the Google reviews for Dr. Arpita Patel to see how great she is with kids. They truly offer a holistic approach to ensure for every patient the well-being of mind, body, and spirit.